You're listening to the Own the Build podcast, where each week, Liam Curley and Paul Hemming from C-Link discuss how small and medium-sized developers can level up their business through smart construction management. What label, I don't like to give labels, but I know that you do. You like to what give me lab- labels. What label would you give to a grown man that cracks open a Cadbury's cream egg in the middle of a conference call? Mm-mm. A man in his 30s. <laughs> I'd give him legendary status if I could, because it just sounds like he's a bloke who... Doesn't really have a care in the world, to be honest with you, Liam. Who are you talking about, anyway? We both know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, look, every every once in a while during, during lockdown, I've made I've made mistakes, but I don't think having a cream egg on an internal conference meeting was the worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> mm. I know you disagree, but number one is Cadbury cream egg season, and I'm a big fan. And number two, get over it. No, I enjoyed it, mate. I thought you looked pathetic. (laughs) I reckon anyone listening is likely to be a fan of Cadbury's Cream Egg and therefore will support me in my endeavours to eat them regularly. I like them, yeah. But uh, I wouldn't dream of just start eating one on on a conference call. I think that's where me and you differ. I think clearly that's where me and you differ and uh, I have no qualms. Would have eaten that cream egg of said conference call. All right, cream egg tick. So let's move on to no. It's a it's a, it's a big ah uh-uh, isn't it the cream egg? No, I just mean tick, as in we've Solved we've it. ticked that off the list. Convert uh, yeah, conversation tick. Now next on the list is opportunities and risks. Oh yes, here we go. <laughs> now you get into the sweet stuff. This is the sweet stuff. Um, you love to talk about opportunities and risks. What, generally speaking, or...? Well, yeah. Well, I think it's important. Okay. Let's talk about planning for opportunities and risks, because this is what you want to talk about. Planning for opportunities and risks mm. um, on a construction project. And why... Is this a point of interest? Why is this a subject? Well, it's not a subject exclusively relevant to construction, is it? I think any project for in any sector, people talk about risks and opportunities. And um, it is a pretty boring, dry topic, isn't it? People who mention the risk register, you don't really think of it as the most fascinating of topics, but um, I do think that <laughs> it's, it's true. Should we end this? Should we end this episode? Then? It's true. It's true, though, isn't it? If someone says, if your boss says to you, "Come on, let's do let's do the risk register on this project," you don't necessarily. People look at it more as a uh, like a box stick box ticking exercise, uh, as opposed to something that has validity to it. I personally think that it has uh, validity to it. And, and I think it has validity to it, but I do think we've got to stop starting these episodes with. It's not the most exciting topic. But it isn't, though, is it? It isn't the most exciting topic. <laughs> it is. And this is why. And you're going to tell us. 
I think the point I'm making when I say it's not the most fascinating of topics, right, is uh, is more that a lot of the topics we, a lot of the things that we're discussing really are just around what is good practice in construction, what is good management practice a lot of the time, and it's not the sort of thing that you think, oh, it's it's. It, it's not extravagant. It's simple things compound to make projects successful. A lot of the people that run successful projects, we'll all know them, all the listeners will think of someone that they uh, respect. A lot of the time what they're doing is small things consistently that have compound uh, impacts to make their project successful. That's why I say when I say risk register, you don't think, people don't think, oh, or if you're desperate to talk and listen about risk registers for some time. But it's an important facet of successful project management in okay. any project, not just construction projects, right? Let's bring it back then. Let's bring it back to specifically construction projects because mm-hmm. that's why we're here. And we can appreciate that when we say opportunities, actually, when we say risks, it's fairly obvious what we mean. We mean risks to yeah. program, risks to going behind on program, or, well, we're going to go through what types of risks. But let's start with opportunities. What do you, what, what do you mean specifically by opportunities? One person that, one a former colleague that I worked with who I respected a lot, um, uh, showed me a risk and opportunities register on one project uh, in the early stages of my career. And when they did that, I thought, oh, that's a different approach, isn't it? Um, usually it's just risks. You're talking about the bad stuff and how to mitigate the bad stuff. But um, their approach was to have risks and opportunities because in every everything that we do, there's uh, opportunity to improve how you're working, opportunity to make more money, opportunity to speed up the program. And so opportunities are exactly the same as risks it's just flipping it as you would say Liam your favorite saying and like risks and opportunities fall into three categories but they could fall into loads of categories depending on how granular you want to be but let's say before before we get into that before we get into that you've mentioned risk register or we're we're calling that a risk and opportunities register Mm -hmm. what is a risk and opportunities register when and when do you start building it out as soon as you are starting a project, you should have a risk and opportunities register, in my opinion. That doesn't need to be... I'm less interested in discussing what makes a good template document and more, yeah, interested, no, yeah, no, no. more interested in discussing the principle of it, right? So whenever you're starting a project, there are risks and opportunities ahead of you, right? And those risks and opportunities... When is the start of a project? When are we talking? Depends who you are. If you're a contractor, that's... Somewhere uh, during the negotiated tender stage, maybe on maybe better when you secure the contract. If you're a developer, there's an argument for having it at appraisal stage, but perhaps that's slightly early. But definitely as you secure planning, definitely as you secure funding, it makes sense to have a risk and opportunities register, in my opinion, because uh, it's when you have the certainty, you're managing certainty, you're managing a budget, you're managing time, with an end goal to make some profit. So I would say that it's really as and when you know that this project that you're working on is going ahead. So whether that's funding approval, planning approval for a developer or contract received for a contractor, um, it should be 
very early on. And it should be something that you manage all the way through, in my opinion. Why do you want to create it? It's so important to create a risk register because we, we you know that there are risks on any job, right? Every job is has a litany of them. If you're creating a risk register, you're talking about it as a team monthly, let's say. I don't think you need to do it more than that. You're talking about risks on a monthly basis. You're talking about what they are and what can be done to mitigate them. And you're putting onus and responsibility on an individual to mitigate that risk or to enhance that opportunity. So the reason why it's important is there isn't anybody listening that is currently working on a project that is in construction that thinks my project hasn't got any risks. Um, now, most of them <laughs> will be have, will they'll think, okay, uh, project manager is managing this, QS is managing that risk, but where is the uh, conversation? Where is the collaboration on it? And where is the absolute certainty that person X is responsible for that and is responsible for mitigating it? Because so often you think, oh, I thought you were dealing with that, mate. You weren't. Now we've got a big problem, haven't we? So it's, it's it, like I said, it's a management function doing this uh, risk and opportunities register. And it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity for everyone to uh, meet up, sit down and uh, collaborate, basically, and, and focus on making more money, which is what we're all interested in doing, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Who, and who would you want, who, who would you want involved it depends on which which business it is, but the key key stakeholders to a project. So, if you're a main contractor, you would want probably some senior management there. You'd want a project manager, maybe a QS there, site manager. If you're a developer, I imagine you want the uh, development manager, the, a director from the business, maybe a project manager, anyone who is responsible for managing that project, depending on who it is in your organisation should be sat there and it needs to be no more than 30, 40 minutes and you actually get into the detail. Everyone is well aware of it and it um, then helps paint the picture in everyone's mind as to what the priority and what the focus is. We talk about it all the, all the time at uh, uh, ceiling, don't we? Like what is the priority? What is the main thing that we should be focusing on right now? Because there's loads of noise for us as a business, but there's loads of noise for everyone as a business, there's loads of noise for every project, right? What is the central thing we need to focus on right now and why? Everyone sits down once once a month and talks about risks and opportunities. You're much more likely to achieve it than if you don't. So you've identified who is important to include in the meeting conversation. Mm-hmm. And... Are you looking, when you get together, are you looking for them to introduce risks and opportunities during that meeting? Or are you looking for them to have already introduced those risks and opportunities and the meeting is about discussing how you're going to manage them? I think uh, either is fine, to be honest. Less interested about the procedure and the structure of how you get there, more interested in the conversation. So that the QS is sitting down with the project manager and the project manager and the QS is saying, I'm really worried about the budget on this package being like going out of budget and the project manager is uh, well aware of it. Like it's more important to be focused on the conversation and the dialogue rather than what it looks like on the template or, or how you get there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really like to comment too much on 
how best to manage it, if that makes sense. Okay, well, give us uh, an example of a typical risk that might come up um, and the best way of managing that and why this this uh, approach would help minimise, mitigate the, uh, the risk. Okay, so... Um... As I said earlier, you could probably categorize it into multiple different risk categories. But let's say, for simplicity, we've got technical, managerial, and commercial, right? Um, so let's let's do an opportunity uh, as opposed to a risk. Let's let's be positive about life here, Liam. But let let let's say that we're going to do a technical opportunity. It could be technical or commercial. You could categorize this, right? Value engineering. Um, We talk about value engineering loads and there's loads of opportunities to uh, extract more value from a project um, through the supply chain and getting the specialist to give you expert advice. So um, one opportunity that you could uh, clarify is we think that at the outset of the project, our construction budget is one million. We want to focus energy on extracting more value through value engineering and who is responsible for that could be qs it could be a project manager and you could task them with uh breaking things down into packages looking where there are large elements um and thinking about how best to value engineer it and that could be um it could be as simple as saying every time we procure a package every single time we procure a package there is a line item in there which says to the subcontractor or the contractor pricing it, for your tender to be considered, you have to include value engineering opportunities where the specification is not uh, reduced. We meet our performance spec, but where you think there is an opportunity to make a saving, right? And that is just one very simple way to give someone responsibility, a way to do it, and then make them report to you on the next time, right? So then it gets around to the next month How's that going? And you say, okay, well, on the Groundworks package, we were looking at solution X. We actually think we can do it with a slightly different piling because this contractor has said that they can do it. Um, I think we can save 1% on that package. There you go, you stimulate. Just, you see, it's, it's not rocket science. Uh, and I'm not expecting at the start of, a, when I say value engineering, I'm not expecting the project manager to sit down and go, right, I'm going to go through every drawing and every specification here and find the value myself. It's the approach. It's how you do it. It's about saying, this is what we're going to build into our project systems through the and our, and our approach. And it's going to hopefully yield us some joy as opposed to just saying, should we, um, have you done any value engineering at the end of it? Have we asked them anything? It's, it's, it's making it your project processes is a simple way to do it in my opinion. I wanted to take a quick break from the show to share a message from our sponsor, C-Link. C-Link is software designed to streamline the process of subcontract procurement. It's a platform that helps SME developers and main contractors stay agile whilst replicating the commercial scale and savvy of large contractors. If you want to save a guaranteed minimum 5% against budget construction costs on your next project, head to www.get.com 
www.c-link.com/podcast to find out more. If you're driving or working out right now and didn't catch that URL, don't sweat it. We've included the link in the description box for this episode. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, okay. So what you're saying is by having this risk and opportunities um, structure in place, or maybe not structure, but an organized gathering, you're adding impetus to identifying opportunities. So you're not starting by bringing opportunities to the table, but because you're identifying, okay, let's look at M&E, um, Bob, the, okay, you're going to be responsible for, well, everyone's responsible, but Bob, you're going to, you're going to be the lead in pulling together any M&E opportunities next month when we meet. Let's see if you can find 1% saving or, or just just simply that the fact that somebody is responsible and they're going to need to come to the next meeting with something, mm-hmm. pressure's on, then it's in the front of their mind to go and identify opportunities for that package. And then yeah, the exactly. same happens for any other area. Or it, might, or it might be that... Um... One person says, oh, "I'm going to I'm value engineering. I'm going to be focusing on the M and E package this, this month." And someone says, "Well, the last project I worked on, we um, we managed to, and it wasn't a requirement of planning, but we had air source heat pumps in, but we didn't need to have them, so we changed the air source heat pumps for X. Maybe that's something to consider. Is that in our specification to have air source heat pumps? Can we change it? Is there anything we can do?" So again, it's not just Bob on his own thinking. Do I need to do value engineering? How how do I do it? It's it. it, it becomes a a team endeavor and and, and yeah and everyone has that conversation but i guess if you give somebody the responsibility for pulling it together it's not that they're going to figure out the value engineering opportunities but it's they're the lead in bringing them together and having conversations and like you said a conversation around the table may start and they can say okay i'm gonna pick up with that with, with you on that after they go and speak to the subcontractors they might go and speak to a site manager project manager whoever and um the next meeting they come back with um ideas on opportunities that that you wouldn't have you wouldn't have had if you didn't give someone that responsibility and there wasn't a platform to keep monitoring it and i guess the same is true for risks because you um there'll be obvious risks to a project. But if you have a handful that each month or every two weeks, however often someone is responsible or however you want to, however you want to manage it, but there within your team, there is an impetus to come back to a, a get together, having done some research, having spoken to other people to find specific risks that wouldn't have been otherwise addressed because all your all if you don't have this type of organized management to identify these risks and opportunities you're only really going to come up with the obvious ones precisely yeah precisely and 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 even yeah i think 
Like there's there's loads of obvious ones, isn't there? Like cash flow is a risk. Uh, running out, out of budget is is a risk. All of these things are. I'm not necessarily saying everyone piles in and you have this big, long, extensive list of loads of random risks and and opportunities. But it's about um, identifying the serious items, right? There are going to be some really serious items on every project, and every product is different. Identifying them. Managing them and trying to reduce them, accepting the fact that some of them you probably go, some of the risks are probably actually going to happen. Um, but at least you can be prepared for them. We talked last week with uh, Piragash, didn't we, about uh, monitoring surveyors and 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 funding and explaining to your funder what is actually happening. So it's it's good practice. It's it's management. Say so th- these are the risks. Okay. It was going to be a 50k problem. We made it a 35k problem. And then we're going to mitigate it by we think we've got a couple of opportunities coming down the line with X, Y, and Z. So there's loads of different ways that it benefits you. Um, and I'll just, uh, I'll just, uh, it doesn't have to be, it's, it's not rocket science, is it? What we're saying here, it's get all the right people in, in a room, give them uh, responsibility. Um, give them all the same focus and yeah people want to come back the following month and say i've done this i've done that um and it improves things doesn't it so you said there were different categories yeah let's go through those okay so technical uh is is one category it's probably the one that is uh most difficult really in in construction so technical um could be uh, around a, a, an easy example would be uh, there's soil contamination potentially like we don't necessarily know what's out in the soil we know that there is a risk that um, there's a problem with the party wall or something like that there's structural problems in the ground that it, it, it could be lots of it could things. be that there's a, a a detail has been created that isn't buildable that correct yeah. some, in a tender in a tender process a subcontractor has raised the uh, the uh, the issue that they don't believe is buildable as it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly right. So and and that's why then your your risk register is an ever moving and ever changing document, right? Because it as and when different things get raised, they might go they might go on. So one subcontractor says it in March. By the time you're in September on a different package, something else has been raised. So it's it's anything around. Uh, construction specific uh tasks I, I use soil as an easy example but it could be anything from i don't know the db rating of the windows isn't quite is potentially a problem that we need to explore think things things like that yeah um so yeah tech- so that's technical that's technical um managerial is as it sounds it's all about how how best to manage uh, the site that could be um Coordination. So, who who is coordinating the design team? We know that we've actually got three different consultants. Who is responsible for coordinating them? That might not be a massive risk, but through conversation, it might be okay. Project manager, you are responsible for coordinating. We're going to make uh, it very clear in all of their different um, scopes of work of the various different consultants that they are responsible for coordinating through you. We're going to have biweekly coordination meetings. The risk was. Uh, medium level now it's low level and we're going to manage it as we go that's a, a simple uh, coordination but then it could also be uh, coordinating people on site program in terms of opportunity as well as that being a risk 
there is actually big opportunity to be had out of managing uh, different trades on site and actually uh, potentially getting efficiencies that way. So yeah, man- managerial is uh, probably the most basic one. It, and all of these could semi-overlap with one another, Liam, because um, a, a managerial one could be, um, I always talk about this because one of our projects has this, right? But you're, ne- you're working next to a, a train track, right? And network rail require uh, rams that are specific to your project and you have to get them approved by network rail before you can even work on it. I, I know this because one of our projects has uh, been affected by it. If you know that at the start and you do know that at the start, there are ways you could mitigate that risk. That's not to say that you can just get it off the table, but you can early plan for preparing the rams. You can do it as part of, include it in all of your tenders You can include it in your programming. So, that's kind of a technical risk, but it's also a managerial risk. So um, that's an, another example of a uh, managerial risk that people can flag up very early and manage. Although I know for a fact that even if you do flag that one up early, you might still well have problems getting approval from uh, Network Rail, from what I've heard. Yeah, I'm sure. But uh, it would be a lot worse if you f- f- identified it in, in, in the middle of the project or when you really need to uh, have addressed it. Exactly. And in the third, you said there were three, I think. The third. Yeah, I mean, the third one I would say is, uh, I'm a QS, so I'm going to say this is commercial. It's all about the money, isn't it? So uh, commercial is, have you got the cash to fund it? Have you got the budget? Uh, if you're out of budget, what are you going to do about it? Um, and then for developers... Um, how can I, as an opportunity, how can I actually add value to this? How can I create more, uh, more profit at the end, like planning gains and stuff like that? That could well be uh, an opportunity. Is there an opportunity to to get more value out of this? So can, can I put a uh, bit of work into the architect scope where they're actually thinking about um, getting a planning gain, for example? But as a more rudimentary construction uh, QS approach, how can I? save money, how can I uh, protect uh, my project profit? And that would be a commercial risk and that you'd manage that. And again, it kind of, I said earlier that VE was a technical risk, uh, was a technical opportunity, sorry, um, which it is because it's all about technical detail and talking about specifications and so on. But it, it overlaps with commercial as well. So all of these are um, intertwined with one another. Uh, and you could argue that there's plenty more different risk categories and so on but I, I didn't want to uh, because you could go on and on yeah we don't want to do that is I wonder because my assumption is that the this type of meeting or get together is you know people who are involved uh, you know in the nitty gritty if you like of this project mm. are there ever examples or have you ever encountered examples where you're actually bringing in someone from outside to contribute to this meeting. Well, when I've done them in the past, you would have uh, senior management sometimes involved, like a director or someone like that, who is a little bit detached from the detail of the day-to-day of that project, is a project uh, professional, has experience, but is less... uh, involved less blinkered by the detail 
and it definitely definitely helps um, if it's the right person to have someone with a slightly different view and slightly uh, detached from your day-to-day frustrations, I guess, uh, of, of being the person who is managing on site. So um, if they're the right person, then yes, I think there is value in having people outside uh, sit in. Do you think that, because you work for a really large multinational business uh, and there would have been dozens or hundreds of senior managers that mm. weren't involved on a particular project that you could just bring in to sit in. If you're a small developer, a small contractor, where you don't have that size of team and pretty much everyone that works for you is working on that project, mm-hmm. can you think of any examples or not examples, any types of consultants or experts that you could just bring in, even if it's just for that meeting or... Yeah, well, I think uh, def- definitely. I mean, I, I talk about my own personal experience as bringing in senior management and uh, often you that where you would have people in there that didn't need to be in there or that didn't necessarily add value. So it, it can work both ways. But if you're a small project team, um, why not? bring in uh, key stakeholders to your project, i.e. Uh, your architect. Because you may, have, you may have uncovered, look, we want to get some VE, we want to see what we can do um, in the previous. And they said, okay, well, let's invite the, the architect to this uh, or to a separate meeting and actually uh, push it onto them to some extent. So definitely there's loads of people within the project who can add value. I'm thinking, do you think there would be any value in adding someone completely external as a consultant where it could be just another project manager where they see mm. things differently to you, they have different experiences to you and they, um, they're they not as close to the project as you has been. Do you think there's any value in just paying for their consulting fees for one day a week to... Or, uh, sorry, one day a week, one day a month, mm. whatever, to sit in on this meeting or to be a part of this opportunities and risks management um, to get a fresh perspective. Because this is critical. You could, if you if you manage risks and opportunities right, the um, you could be pulling in. A, you could be pulling in, you know, one percent, two percent, three percent margin, maybe. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And you could also um, speed up the program or at least deliver on time where you might not have done. Yeah, or if, if it's a project littered with risks, just deliver as you'd originally uh, forecasted to your budget or you've just uh, delivered as you should. So I think you could, yeah. I mean, uh, you think about someone like uh, Jason Farnell, who we speak to uh, regularly, and someone with... His level of experience, his understanding of uh, the pitfalls and the problems, just having a uh, conversation with him or someone like him who is external can add huge amounts of value. It's not, um, it's not, the, it's not the cheapest, probably. It's, and you have to invest um, to do that. But I think that there's definitely something in that, yeah, in terms of external project management, consultant, commercial consultant you might even be able to get a uh, a value engineering consultant someone who is uh, an expert in that uh, in in their field who would say you're really not focusing 
on this. In going back to my network rail example, right? You might just say, "Wow, that is who are we going to have to do that?" And say, "Let's find a network rail consultant who is going to help us to solve the biggest problem on the job." That's going in a bit more. That's less about the overall risk and opportunities register and how you manage it, and more about there is a problem we need to solve it. But it's it's exactly that kind of thinking, Liam, that allows you to properly manage and uh, mitigate the risk. Um, so yeah, I'm all for it, if you're paying. <laughs> I didn't say that. I don't think it's a very good idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, I thought this was going to be about five minutes, but uh, there was a bit more to talk about, especially when you uh, didn't really want to get into the detail. I thought, well, that's the end of this. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you could go into real detail, right? And I think the there is there is importance in the detail, obviously. Uh, and there is importance in how you present the template. If you have a template which tells you the monetary expectation of the risks and the opportunities, it allows it, it betters your reporting and everything. And we could talk about that for hours. But uh, the, the, the real, the important thing, in my opinion, is the dialogue, is the conversation, and is actually getting around the table regularly to boost the risk and enhance those opportunities, Liam. Come on. Well, opportunities enhanced. Thanks, Paul. Cheers, Liam. Take it easy, I'll mate. I'll see you next time. See you later. Bye. Cheers.